0: I ask you, please, if you wish to turn in your Bibles to Mark 6. Uh, but I would also uh, ask, we should have some papers that are out on. Uh, the chairs as we have been doing the past couple of weeks. Remember, we're handling things a little bit differently in how we're looking at the scriptures now. And now that we have the technology to do this, marking up the text is such an important component in getting involved. And so if you have those papers there, you should have some on every little uh, chair. I know not everybody will want papers. Some of you like to be in your Bibles, but I encourage you, please get engaged. If you are not involved in this process, you will walk away a completely unchanged person. Uh, And that is criminal, uh, seeing that the Lord has given us the freedom to worship and to be here in this assembly of the saints. So let's have humble hearts and let's get involved here and let's uh, actually get our minds going. We have some pins up here in a a bucket thing. I can kind of see it over the edge here, uh, but I'm not going to touch it. So don't worry. Uh, It is infection free. You should be totally okay. And I've already uh, spoken with Tabitha at Link, and and she is going to do a wonderful job of making sure that everything up here is sanitary. And I'm not even using this mic on the podium, so Deb and Scott are totally okay if that's what they chose to do, or if they use the handheld. Doesn't matter. Lord Jesus will protect them. We're trying to do what we can here, so it's fantastic. Anyway, uh, if you would take your Bibles or your pieces of paper, look at Mark 6. This is a third in a series called "Reclaiming Repentance," and the reason why we are reclaiming repentance, <clears throat> excuse me, is because we're finding an inconsistency with the way many people speak of repentance or understand repentance, and what the definition books, which are called lexicons, of the Greek New Testament actually tell us that the word means. Now. I've had out on the Welcome Center for the past couple of weeks a stack of papers that have been put together uh, by our friend Charlie Bing at Grace Life Ministries. And uh, it is a two-page paper. He has a little... A series that goes on there called Grace Notes, which are absolutely fantastic. And at some point I think it would be wonderful for us to have uh, a Sunday school class that would be focusing over the Grace Notes because it's just one page about an issue in the Bible or or something about that that uh, you would look at. You can look at his website, gracelife.org it is, and you can go to Grace Notes and check that out. Great material. But out there on the the, uh, Welcome Center or quotations upon quotations of famous theologians, pastors, preachers, those types of things, who have gone through examination of repentance and have given quotes about what repentance means. And they've all, on this piece of paper, come to a conclusion that what repentance means is a change of mind. And this matches perfectly with what the lexicons are telling us. Now I've given you some of the same material over the past two weeks to get it in your mind of what we're dealing with, but I actually want to give you something different. I'm going to try to start including different quotes uh, regarding this stuff. And so this is uh, our good friend John MacArthur. Uh, If you know anything about me, you know I've had my disagreements with his theology for quite a while because he actually uh, espouses a works salvation mentality known as lordship salvation. And what you find is, is because he carries something like that, it actually Uh, pours out into his understanding of other words. So instead of looking at a lexicon saying well it means a change of mind and just sticking with that and then reading the scriptures plainly as they say he's added or impregnated this situation in a way it doesn't need to be. So notice he says here as metanoia, which that's the, the Greek word that we're looking at here, is used in the New Testament. It always, now notice his words there, it always speaks of a change of purpose and specifically a turning from Sin. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of turning from sin would probably be construed as a work here. And in doing so, it runs far from. This idea of what it is to simply change a mind about something or to think differently. Or if you remember uh, the the quotation that we put up there uh, during our first session, good grief, forgive my brain on this one. But the idea was is a becoming wise again uh, was what we were actually looking at. I think that was from Lorraine Botner is what we looked at. It says here, in the sense Jesus used it, repentance calls for a repudiation of the old life and a turning to God for salvation. Now now notice that. That sounds... Pretty, pretty serious. you got to really mean it in order to be in the club kind of thing. But notice what he says repentance is. Every time Jesus teaches it. And what we're going to look at today are two sides of the same thing that Jesus tells people. Okay, A repudiation of the old life and a turning to God for salvation. Later on down the page in that same book he says, above all repentance is not a pre-salvation attempt to set one's life in order. The call to repentance is not a command to make sin right before turning to Christ in faith. Rather, it is a command to recognize one's lawlessness and hate it, to turn one's back on it and flee to Christ. Now there's that word turn again. Notice that you have it here in both instances. You have a turning from sin up here. And then notice here he wants to give you again. It is a to turn one's back on it and flee to Christ, embracing him with wholehearted devotion. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. I don't know of anybody that I've shared the gospel with or that I've ever seen anybody share the gospel with that has turned their back on all of their lawlessness and hatred it with their whole heart and then embraced Christ with wholehearted devotion because they were fleeing towards him because they always end up sinning again or they always end up coming short or there's always some part of it they don't believe and what I see here is that it seems that John MacArthur is expecting way more of lost people coming into salvation than probably what they're capable of spiritually speaking in this situation um, now I say that to say this John MacArthur would tell you that repentance is an indispensable element of salvation. Someone actually going from being a, a, a person who is dead and trespasses and sins, having no spiritual life whatsoever, to believing the gospel, they would have to repent as well and coming into spiritual life. Uh, I'm going to make this statement, and you're probably not going to agree with it, and that's okay. I encourage you to search the scriptures, study it out, find it for yourselves, and then let's dialogue. But we're going to go through every instance of of repentance in the New Testament before we're done with this series, so that you can see that this is a true fact. Let me take a sip of tea before I tell you this suspense. Repentance is not a necessary precursor, nor is it a situation where it's the other side of the coin of faith in Christ. It is not. Could it be included? Yes, it can. But does it have to be concluded? Is it a necessity? No, it is not. Let me give you an example. We'll return to the first mention that we have in the New Testament of this. We find it in Matthew chapters 2 and 3. If you remember, we'll do this. Brenda here. This is John the Baptist here. His first thing, repent. This This is what his mystery was about. Repent. Why? Causal conjunction for... Going back to this, why do I need to repent? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and this is because the king was coming on. And remember, notice what he said in this. For this, for, causal conjunction, we're explaining why this message is what it is. This is the one, right, John the Baptist, referred to by Isaiah. And we're going to find this in chapter 40, verse 3. We looked at this. The prophet, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now look what he's saying here. He's telling people how to make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, so many people look at this and they say, ah, if the Jewish people here will just repent, they'll now go to heaven when they die. That is not what this is talking about. And if you were a first century Jew, this is not how you would conclude that this should be taken. Now watch this. I have a good quote here from a man named James S. Hollinsworth. I don't agree with everything he says, but I tell you what, he's got a sharp mind. He's doing a great job rightly dividing the word of God and and, and making the distinctions where it needs to be. I encourage you to check him out. I encourage you to look at his podcast. It's called Truth Over Traditions. Check it out. Download it for free. Some interesting stuff that will stimulate a whole lot of thought. Here's what he says. In context, this is messianic salvation. Meaning that it's got Old Testament moorings to it that would refer to Jewish understanding. The deliverance of Israel from Gentile nations and Messiah's rule over the planet. That's what messianic salvation is. When they talk about we're looking for the coming Messiah, they're not thinking about this. We're looking for the coming Messiah so that we can go to heaven when they die. That is looking at everything through the scriptures in a lens of salvation, and that's not how it's done. We have to let the text lead us. What the Jews were looking for here in the first century was actually for the deliverance of their promised king. That's what they're looking for, and this is why the message of the kingdom of heaven is what's going on here. So notice he says, the Jews listening to John's message of God's salvation would have understood national messianic deliverance. Notice that. National messianic deliverance. Israel being delivered from the pit that is the earth and all of its Gentile antagonism that's going on against them. Why? Because they're the chosen nation of God. Notice that this is something entirely different than what comes to mind when we hear the word salvation. Now is this a salvation? Absolutely it's a salvation, because the word salvation means to save somebody, or to deliver somebody, or to rescue somebody, or even to heal somebody, and more times than it's not, it's actually used in the means of a physical realm rather than a spiritual realm. So you always have to let context determine the meaning, you always have to follow the author's flow of thought, and you have to know who's speaking, who your audience is, everything that we talk about that makes for effective Bible study, and that's why we're going through it like this. Now remember, the best commentary on scripture is what? Exactly. The Scriptures. See, I'm anticipating in real time that you answered that well. Why? Because you listened to me last, you probably didn't listen to me last time. That's okay. Whatever it is, just don't let Jay speak. Okay, here we go. If you will remember we talked about Acts 19 letting scripture interpret scripture and time that you can find that somebody is going to speak to an event in the bible that has occurred previously or in the future you know that because it is in the word of god it is inspired the holy spirit has inspired this so you can trust it here we go look at this paul said john who's this Exactly. Our good friend John the Baptist. He baptized with the baptism of repentance. Yeah, this is what we saw. Because his message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at him. What did he do? Telling the people to believe. To believe. To believe in him who was coming after him. That is Jesus. Jesus who? Jesus the Messiah. Now, watch this. Are you ready? When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Look at this. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Now here's the thing. Had these people been baptized in John the Baptist's baptism of repentance? Yes, they had. Did they have the Holy Spirit at that moment? No. In fact, if you remember earlier in the text, they didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. So Paul tells them about Christ. Let's back up one here. Remember, repentance is what they were baptized in. But notice, once they believed in Him, that's when they became our brothers in the Lord. Notice that it was belief. That is the only condition that is put forward for salvation. Faith alone. And the word means by itself. Faith by itself in Jesus Christ who has died for our sins and risen from the grave. That is what gives someone the forgiveness of sins and eternal life and a myriad of other wonderful blessings that go along with it. But notice it wasn't until they believed that the Holy Spirit could then come upon them at this time. So. Hopefully that clears some things up about what it is that we're looking at, and I believe today will help further uh, broaden our understanding of this as we dive into this. So now we're looking at repent and repentance in the Gospels. We're picking up where we left off at, and and, and actually you, you may not realize this we're done covering every instance that it takes place in Matthew we've looked at all that you guys have already looked at on your own chapter 3 verses 1 through 9 of Luke and you've taken care of that and so now we're venturing into mark and this is the last instance that this takes place in mark but we need to compare scripture with scripture to see exactly what he's talking about and why it matters so that's why you've got two pieces of paper that are stapled together the reason why I got them stapled together is number one we have the coolest copier in the world so it's able to do that number two I don't want you to Lose these two papers, but I would encourage you to undo them now so that you can compare them side by side because that's what we're going to do here in a moment. Now, I want you to watch this. Okay, here we go. Mark chapter six, verse seven. And he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now there's a lot here. Let's pay really close attention to what's going on. Number one, he summoned them, the he here, of course. Is Jesus, we know from the context, he summoned the 12. Now the reason why you want to pay attention to this is for one major fact, okay? This includes Judas. So maybe we're going to put plus Judas there. That kind of looks like a cross. I don't know if that will fit Judas very well. But there we go. Plus, well, it, what can I say? I have a tendency to draw crosses. <laughs> I don't know. Good grief. Uh, but plus Judas. It means that Judas is part of this. They didn't leave him out of this, he's along with everybody else, okay? He summoned them. This word in the Greek means that he called them toward him. And notice that he began to send them out. And what's interesting about the word send, uh, to send out here, all of these are where we get the word apostles from. It's actually the Greek word apostello. It means to be sent out or sent out ones. And he sent them out in pairs, which means that you've got six pairs of two each, okay? They're going out. And here's what he did to make sure that their ministry was going to be effective. He gave them authority. He gave them, uh, forgive me, good grief, erase that. He gave them Exousia. And the idea of exousia here is the idea of control, power, the right to having rights, and can even in some situations mean jurisdiction. So notice that they've been given. This power to exercise over a realm, which was going to be uh, essentially the demonic realm that they never had before, because the emphasis is the fact that the authority is over unclean spirits. Now, why is that? It's not anything special in them, obviously, especially if Judas is going along. We already know that the guy is not a believer at this point, even though he's listening to every word that Jesus ever had to say and seeing every miracle that he ever performed. He's still not a believer here. But notice it's the fact that it's over unclean spirits. It's the authority of Jesus resting on them over the demonic. And we're going to see that here in just a second. Notice that there are specific instructions that are going on here. Verses 8 and 9. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff. So probably what they were already holding here. They can take that. But notice, no bread, No bag, no money in their belt. Now... You might say, well, what, why is Jesus trying to make this hard on them? <clears throat> Please understand, Jesus is not trying to make this hard on them. What Jesus is doing is he's teaching them that they don't need material things in order to do the Lord's work. We so often think about how much material stuff we need in order to do the Lord's work. We don't. We just need the Spirit's leading to do the Lord's work. That's what we're looking for. If the Spirit's leading leads to the necessity of material things, then fantastic. But that's the point that he's trying to get across to them. The reason why you take no bread, no bag, and no money, because as you're going along, the Lord's going to provide your bread. And he's going to provide you a bag. And he's going to provide you the money that you need. And you are going to be sustained. Now he says here, but to wear sandals. Obviously, you want to have something on your feet. And he added, do not put on two sandals. Tunics. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. The two tunics is kind of strange. Well, why would they do that? Do they like have, you know, if you don't have a bag, where are you going to put your extra tunic? That's not really what it's going after. It's not that they've like, you know, have got a bunch of carry on or they got to check their bags or something as they're going out. That's not happening. The first tunic that you would have would be considered an inner most. Garment, And it's the one that was worn right against the skin. I don't think it's any magic Mormon underwear or anything like that, because every common Jewish person had that type of stuff on. Mormons, if you're offended, it's okay. You guys need Christ. But anyway, moving on here. The innermost garment that they would put on there, they would just naturally normally have that. But if you had a second one that was going on, it was considered a garment that doubled as... A blanket. So Jesus is saying, Linus, don't take your blanket with you. Don't even bother to have it with you. You have your innermost garment that touches right against your skin. You're just fine. Why? Because God is even going to provide for them in their ministry, teaching them trust here, provide for them in the midst of their ministry places to stay. It really is asking them to walk out on faith here. Now watch this. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town, okay, which means that it becomes easily HQ for wherever they're going, okay? Now, any place that does not receive you, now watch, because that's the first thing here, or number two, listen to you, now think about that, notice we're dealing with person and message, If they don't receive you as a person, as a disciple of Jesus, the rabbi, or if they're not willing to endure your message, now we're going to talk about what their message is here in just a minute, okay, because that's the whole focus we're looking at. As you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. In other words, it's to serve as a public witness that they were unwilling to soften their hearts. They were unwilling to be malleable by the Lord. They were unwilling to receive their promised uh, Messiah's message in order for all of Israel to know him so that the messianic kingdom could be brought in at that time. Since they're not, they are demonstrating hardness of heart, they're demonstrating that they are not anticipating for the Lord to work, they're demonstrating that they're not living their lives in anticipation of his return or the promise of the Messiah or banking on Old Testament promises, any of that stuff. They're not living their lives for the Lord. And if that's the case, when they walk out of their houses, they are to beat the dust off of their shoes and move on. Now I know this doesn't fall into kindness Christianity, but I don't think that it's supposed to. I think sometimes we waste our time with people who have been obstinate to the message for so long that there comes a point where we need to hand them over to the Lord, knock the dust off of our feet and move on to people who are open to hearing the gospel. Sometimes there's a lot of people that are open to it that we need to move on to just as a practical application for us that we need to move on to because we've been wasting so much time with somebody who's never listening and never believing fine. Let them dabble in the world for a while. Let sin get a hold of them and drag them down just a little bit. And hopefully they'll come to their senses then and want to hear the message about Jesus Christ. Well, anyway, moving on. Verses 12 and 13. Now they, right, which is the 12, they went out and they what? Man, very important. They preached. They have, here it is again, make sure you mark it. They have a message. That men should, here's our word repent. That they should change their mind, if you want to write there the same thing, understanding. Obviously, people were thinking incorrectly about Jesus and the promise of his kingdom as made through 39 books of the Old Testament. So this was a call to wake up. This was a call to come about their senses, to become wise again and pay attention because they are at a very critical point in history. (coughs) Excuse me. In fact, they're at such a critical point in history that the king is waiting to be received by his people. Think about that, guys. Right now we look at all the travesty of everything that's going on around us. I mean let's be honest our world is a dumpster fire going on right now. Everything is in shambles everything's just looking sad. I don't mean to be pessimistic about everything. The joy that we have here is in the Lord. The joy that we have is knowing that we're citizens of heaven. The joy that we have is knowing that we're fully redeemed. That there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Our joy is all found in the identity that Christ has given us through His death and resurrection. So praise God for that. But it doesn't take a genius is to stand back and look around and say, man, things in the world are bad. Things apart from Christ are bad. We live in a very ripe time. We live in a time of great anticipation. I'm excited for the rapture. I'm excited for it to come at any moment. I love His appearing, and I want Him to appear at any moment. Go ahead. Take me, my wife, my kids, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Take us on there to be with him forever so that we will never be without him ever. Praise God for that, excuse me. But praise God for that kind of stuff. We need it. But man, we, we need to recognize our time and recognize the opportunity of the time. Even though it's all bad, Hearts have been softened to be able to receive the message about Jesus' death for them. We need to take advantage. They need to be changing their minds so that they can receive the gospel. So notice here, it says here, they went out and they preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons. Okay, so remember we talked about authority over unclean spirits. Right here you have the identification. They are demons. Bad, right? Right? And were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Now, I don't know that Jesus gave them authority to do that in the Mark text. What in the world are they doing? Why in the world are they doing things that he didn't tell them to do? But, in fact, we'll just do this, dot, 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 little ellipsis here. There's more to the story. There's way more to the story. And here's where I think this is going to benefit us the most and help us understand a couple of techniques of Bible study. I'm going to ask you to take your Mark passage and maybe set it to the left. And then you've got your Matthew 10 passage to the right. And I want to show you something very interesting, okay? It may seem simple, and it probably is simple, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Simple Bible study can be good Bible study as long as we're teachable people desiring for the Holy Spirit to make the difference, okay? So watch this. We are going to move into this. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples. And gave them authority over unclean spirits. Does that sound like anything that we just saw? Yes, it does. In fact, if you notice that this area right here all deals with Mark 6, verse 7. Okay? Notice what we're doing. We're comparing Scripture with Scripture. And we're finding that Matthew and Mark are documenting the same event. Now, remember, Mark is very fast paced. It's kind of a shotgun uh, gospel, um, very action filled. It moves very rapidly. The pace is, is high octane. And so the nice thing about Matthew is that Matthew pulls the brakes on the situation and he opens it up a little bit more for our understanding. And as we compare Scripture with Scripture, we can begin putting the pieces together on this situation. So notice that. He gives them authority over unclean spirits. Now watch this. Matthew elaborates. To cast them out. Now notice, this is what the authority accomplishes. To cast them out. And, oh, here's the part that we were having difficulty with. To heal every kind of disease. And every kind of sickness. <clears throat> Excuse me, where did we find that? You don't have to write in Mark every time if you don't want to. But that we found that in Mark 6, 13a. So you look over at your left hand and you see that that's happening there. Actually, it's 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 B. Forgive me. Erase that there. 316b. Uh, 316b there. The cast them out part is 6.13a. Everybody see that? So notice what we find happening down at the very bottom of the Mark section, casting out demons, anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. We have actually the beginning of our section and the end of our section all encompassed in Matthew chapter 10. Verse 1. Makes it real tidy and neat and just just good. Now here we go. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. Now notice he is elaborating on what we just saw in verse 1. And so here, take the time, don't skip over this. Sometimes we get to genealogies, we skip over them. Sometimes we get to places on a map, we skip over them. We don't pull out the map and look. We don't take the time to number everything. Let's go through this together with me. The first, Simon, he's number one, who's called Peter. Second is Andrew, his brother. Third is James, the son of Zebedee. And the number four is John, his brother. Then we move on. Philip and Bartholomew are five and 6. Then you've got Thomas and Matthew who is also known in Scripture as Levi. Remember that? That'll be important for next week. And then, oops, I accidentally included this in here. That shouldn't be there. Forgive me. And then James, the son of Alphaeus, he's number 9. And Thaddeus, he's number 10. Simon the Zealot, he sounds like a party animal. Number 11 there. And then Our favorite guy, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Now remember, it's very interesting to see. Then when Jesus uses the idea of the twelve, when the when the gospel writers use the idea of the twelve, Mark used the twelve in chapter 6, verse 7. We saw here in Matthew 10, 1, the twelve, the twelve disciples. It's including Judas. Judas is included in this group doing these things, so it's important for us. It really messes with our thinking to think about the abilities and authority that he had being an unbelieving person. But this is what God chose to do and how he chose to work. Very interesting deal. So notice it says here, these twelve right? Everybody we just saw, so we're going to write here, verses 2 through 4, that's where those guys are, okay? These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. Okay, everybody see that? He sent out after instructing them. He's got something specific to say. Do not. If I could switch colors quickly on this, I would put that in red. Every time I've got a do not in my Bible, I always whip out a red pen and double underline. Do not go in the way of the ding, 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 Gentiles. This is highly important. Gentiles are sometimes referred to in other passages as the nations. The Gentiles are off the table. For this ministry opportunity. Well, wouldn't Jesus want to reach everybody that he, that he, he could possibly reach? Jesus is incredibly methodical about what he's doing he's got a plan he's got a reason he's doing something specific and the Gentiles right now at this point in history in Matthew chapter 10 and Mark chapter 6 they're not part of what he's got going on that's important to understand because Gentiles are y'all and me depending that we don't have any Jewish blood running through us in some way okay so we fall into this category now notice it's not just the Gentiles okay do not double underline if you got red, pull it out real quick. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans. Notice that now we know the Samaritans are in between Jewish territories. You have Galilee in the north, in Judea in the south, okay, but in between you had the Samaritans. Guess what? They're not part of the message either. They're not on the table for this opportunity. But now that's a good one because it gives us a 180 degree way of understanding this. But rather, instead of that instead of going here, instead of not going there, or sorry, instead of going there or there you are to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is their focus group. They've got a ministry to execute. This is their focus group. This is who they're after. This is what they're looking to do. This is what they're looking to accomplish. This is who they're trying to reach. Now watch, because now it all starts to unfold. As you go, preach. Now stop. because there somewhere else that we saw the idea of preaching here? We did. We saw the idea of them being sent out in pairs, and they were going to preach. And remember the problem was, if nobody listened to them, we're going to get to all that in a second, but they've got something to say, because preach entails that they have a message. Saying, oh, now watch this. The message is this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you will refer back to Mark 6, verse 12, you will notice that it says over there, they went out and preached that men should repent. Their message had to deal with repent. Why? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is exactly the same message as John the Baptist. This is exactly the same message that Jesus was preaching. Now here's why this is important for you to understand this. Because we've had very clear key points that have been given. Let's back up and see it. No to the Gentiles. No to the Samaritans. Big old check mark to the house of Israel. Jews are in focus. And so the preaching, the message sent to the Jews, just as John the Baptist was talking to the Jews, just as Jesus was talking to the Jews, is repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now we're going to hit on that at the end of here because of how important it is. First, let's watch this and see how Mark compliments in Matthew. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received... Freely give. Now pause. Everybody see this? A, B, C, and D. Here's what's messed up about all of this that that I have problem. I think about this at night when I'm trying to go to sleep because I'm trying to puzzle it out in my head. And as I'm reading the Scriptures, I'm always looking for something that would stick out to help me with this. Judas had authority at this time to do these. He was just like the rest of the twelve. Now you say, well, Jeremy, explain that for me. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I can't. I don't have a clue. I don't even begin to understand. I, I guarantee you that when I get up into heaven and I'm in Theology 101 with Jesus as my professor, my hand will be up and this will probably be the first question that I ask him. How in the world could Judas, being a lost person who you knew was going to betray you, could you give him authority to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, all that stuff? And, and you know what? It's probably just that much more of a testimony against him because he was firsthand experiencing, <clears throat> excuse me, the authority of God working through him. I, I don't I don't I don't know, guys. I mean, it's just something else. It's something that I struggle with personally. I'll go ahead and tell you. But. God's ways are certainly not my ways, and He is under no obligation to explain to me. So let's take God at His word and understand it. Now, moving on. This seems similar. Do not acquire gold, okay, silver, or copper for your money belts. We can't even acquire copper for our money belts right now because none of our pennies are made of copper anymore. But... Despite that, here we go. Okay, so none of that stuff. Why? We're not to receive any sort of payment or have anything like that going on. or I'm sorry, take that with us to go. Notice it says uh, for your body belts or a bag. Everybody remember that for your journey or even two coats. Now, this right here is the idea of the tunic situation that we talked about earlier. Now, here's, what's, here's something interesting. People have said, ah, there's an error in the Bible or sandals. Or a staff. Now, if you will remember here, when we were actually dealing with Mark, we saw the whole situation going on with a staff found in uh, 6 8, and I believe it's the B part. And as far as sandals were concerned, we found that going on in 6 9 in the A part. You say, well, wait a second, why a Mark? Does Jesus tell him to have sandals and a staff? But here, Matthew is telling him not to take sandals and a staff. For, he gives you the reason, here's the reason, your causal conjunction, the worker is worthy of his support, meaning that God will provide. Okay, But it still doesn't answer this question. Why is this the way that it is? Well, it seems possibly what the situation was is they were not to take an extra pair of sandals. If your sandals were going to wear out on the way of your journey, guess what? God will provide. They already had sandals on. So what it is is probably Matthew is referring to not taking an extra pair of sandals, whenever Jesus gave this command, nor an extra staff. If your staff wears out, and whether that's to smack enemies from trying to rob you or, or whatever it is, or just to help you walk up hills and things like that, if it wears out, guess what? God is going to supply it. So I believe what he's talking about here is don't take an extra of these things. God will provide. And I believe the context gives us that. The worker is worthy of his support. Now you've got to forgive me. I'm getting scratchy. <coughs> okay, so now let's look at verse 11. Now this is going to look very familiar to us, okay? And whatever village, sorry, whatever city or village you enter, okay? Okay? Inquire who is worthy in it. Now you might say, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, essentially it's talking about a host home. Is there someone there who is receiving of the message of the Lord's people and are willing to endure with the idea of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand because they've repented and now they're anticipating the arrival of the kingdom, the messianic salvation. Notice what it says. And stay at the house until you leave the city. Now, if you'll remember from this right here, this actually dealt with Mark chapter 6, verses 10. B, the the, 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 the latter part of that, the B section. As you enter the house give it your greeting. Now there's nothing wrong with that. That's just polite. I believe that Jesus is trying to raise some polite boys here. There's nothing wrong with that. Look down, it says here, verse 13, if the house is worthy, everybody see the idea that we're dealing with before about being worthy, worthy idea of the host home in verse 11, and then you've got worthy in 13. So notice it checks out as the idea. Give it your blessing of peace. But, uh-oh, Remember, the idea of but usually gives us a 180 degree turn. <clears throat> if it is not worthy, which means eh, nope, take back your blessing of peace. Well, that's not very Jesus-like Jesus. Yes, it is. You say, well, how in the world could it be? Because Jesus has got something to accomplish with the house of Israel. They are like lost sheep and they need direction. And the message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand is meant to get the sheep in order so that they can receive their promised king. So Jesus does not want his people wasting time with those who do not have any desire for the things of God. Again, this lesson would really stress well to us if we would just heed the principle Don't waste your time on hard-hearted people who don't want to hear the gospel. Ask the Lord to lead you through open doors to those who are ready and have been ripened by Him to receive the gospel. And then pray that we would speak boldly and clearly and with love and truth in order to lead them to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now notice, whoever does not receive you, nor now notice, remember this, we're talking about receive you, your person, or heed your words, your message, right? As you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet because it is a testimony against them. It is a testimony. Now, Real quick, do not heed your words. If you will look back, think here about in verse 7, what are the words? Go, he told them go, preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We compare that scripture with scripture. Chapter 6, verse 12, we understand it's the idea of repent. So notice right here we've got not just in verse 7 of this section, but also in 6, uh, what was it, 12, be of Mark. About heeding the words, and you shake your dust, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony. This was dealing with chapter six, verse eleven of Mark. It's the exact same thing. It's the exact same incident. Now, Jesus ends this on an incredible note. And I've even seen some people say, well, we're not really for sure this was in the passage. Um, I think from what we saw last week and some of the pronunciations of how the Jews were not responding to a greater revelation of the Messiah when the Gentiles had already responded to a greater revelation, mm, it gets kind of iffy there about whether that's true because it's totally consistent. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that story, right? Now watch this in the day of judgment than for that city. And what is that day of judgment? I believe it's the great white throne judgment for all who are unbelievers. Why? Because they did not receive the message. What is the message? The message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The audience are the Jews who have 39 books of previous revelation that should be given to them an anticipation of God's work in sending the Messiah at any moment to save them, their nation, from Gentile rule. That's what this message is about. Excellent quote. When we talk about the message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ's ministry, along with the ministry of the disciples whom he had called and sent out, and that's exactly what we're seeing here, that instance, had centered around one thing. In fact, that emphasis there is in his book, not me putting it there. It's centered around one thing. An offer of the kingdom of the heavens to Israel conditioned upon the nation's repentance. They had to change the way they were thinking in order to be able to receive their <clears throat> excuse me, promised Messiah. We know it was going wrong because of how things were going with the money changers. We know it was going wrong because of how legalistic the Pharisees were. We know it was going wrong when they brought a woman who was caught in adultery, but they didn't bring the man that was in the midst of the adultery. We know the entire philosophy and thinking and the heart set of the Jewish people had gone wrong. And this is why he is telling them, repent! Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because the king is in your midst. And he is ready to bring in this kingdom. What does it take for them to bring in the kingdom? There needs to be a repentance of the nation. They've got to stop thinking wrong about God, and they've got to start thinking correctly about the fact that they need to be rescued. They need his salvation is what we're talking about. We're not talking about go to heaven when you die, salvation. That would not have been on the Jewish mindset. We are talking about ushering in the kingdom of the promised Messiah who will sit on David's throne as promised in 2 Samuel 7 forever and ever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And it is a literal day that is coming in the future. This message is going out blaring to the Jewish people. What is the message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice that he's not saying... Turn from all of your sins. Have some sort of emotional breakdown. Be willing to hate everything wrong that you've ever done. And flee with abandonment under Christ and cling to him. That's not what he's telling them. He's telling them to get your thinking straight. Why? Because they were to believe in the one who was to come. So that when Christ manifested himself to everyone. Notice that he's sending out John the Baptist first. And then he came. Notice that he sends out the disciples in 6 of two and then he came they're preparing the way they're getting people's mindsets correct so that they can receive their king we know how all this went down in the end instead of a regal coronation it was a crucifixion they killed their hope I hope that's sobering for us. Because there's a lot of people that have heard the gospel. They know the gospel. Lost people that could tell you the gospel. And when we talk about what we're dealing with in the church age after this time period, we're talking about the message of believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Acts 16.31. It's very clear. It's very simple. Believe. 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 Are you here today and you haven't believed? Are you here today and you're unteachable? Are you here today and you know that your heart is as hard as a rock and you know that you have nothing but a complaining attitude? You're just a sour, sour person. Guess what? You need to know the gospel. You say, Well, I'm already a believer. I do know the gospel. Are you sure? I don't want to sit here and say that I'm doubting your salvation. I believe that you're saved. All I have to go off of is your testimony. But what I'm concerned about is are you living out the Gospel? If He's liberated you, then you should have joy forevermore. Good grief. I've got COVID. I feel terrible. I feel like somebody smacked me in the face with a sledgehammer. Guess what? I got the joy of the Lord, man. I'm excited about that peace that passes all understanding. I'm excited about the fact that I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do I believe it all the times? No, I don't. But it's in those times that I don't believe that I find it hard to get through life. And if I can't come to the Scriptures and be teachable about these things and recognize even something as basic and simple that we're looking at is there's a difference between the message that was given to the Jews and the message that comes along later after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ about believing to be saved to have eternal life. If that's a basic distinction that we can't make in Scripture as we go through there, we have to ask ourselves a question, why is that not grasping us? Why is it not? If I'm checking out my time here, I've probably kept you long enough. A couple of you are probably already asleep. I'm just kidding. Thank you guys for letting me joke with you. But let me say this. Hopefully this has encouraged you to recognize. We can all do Bible study. If we will just take the time, if we will just sit down with this, if we will just put pen to paper, if we will just observe, 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 observe everything that's going on and understanding it in context and if we have the opportunity to use Scripture in order to help us interpret Scripture. Man, we come to some fascinating things. We come to some good good things. So Let's do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Word of God. Help us to rightly divide it. Help us to rightly engage it. Help us to look to the leading of your Spirit. And God, if we're here today, maybe we don't know Jesus Christ. We've missed out on the message of His death because we've sinned, and Him paying our debt so that we could be perfectly at one with You through Him. Lord, that, that, that today is the day of salvation for that. Today is the day to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and so be saved. Only He can give us forgiveness of sins. Only He grants us eternal life. And it's only through faith that His work is applied to us. God, help us to mull through these truths, think through them, recognize that what we're dealing with here and all these calls to repentance and the kingdom of heaven being a hand is that it's focused on a Jewish audience. So it is a message for a time and a people. It's so important that we're able to see that in the context. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. And thank you, God, for giving us the opportunity to know you and to love you, Lord. May we be on fire as we leave this place today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.